Chapter 22 of The Film Mystery This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Film Mystery by Arthur B. Reeve Chapter 22 The Stem Though my hands trembled so that I could hardly control them, I managed to close the door softly and to back away down the hall without being discovered. My head was spinning and I was dizzy. With my own ears I had heard Marilyn Loring virtually betray the guilt of the man she loved and whom therefore she had tried to shield. If you have the blood of another man on your hands, what more could Kennedy want? I started to run towards the studio. Then recollection of my errand stopped me. Kennedy wished the blood smears and stomach contents and was anxious to get them before the arrival of the police. At first I thought that all such evidence would be unnecessary now, after the dialogue I had overheard, but it struck me as an afterthought that it might be necessary still to prove Shirley's guilt to the satisfaction of a court and jury. And so I rushed to the next dressing room, and to another, until I located the doctor and the body of the dead man. With the little package for Kennedy safely in my pocket, I hurried out again, into the sweltering heat beneath the glass of the big studio, and to the side of Kennedy and McKay in the banquet hall set. "'You have a sample of each article of food now?' he was asking the district attorney. "'You are sure you have missed nothing?' "'As far as possible, I took my samples from the table where Werner sat,' McKay explained. "'When the prop boy gets here with an empty bottle and cork, I'll have a sample of the wine. I think it's the wine,' he added. Kennedy turned to me. "'You've got—' "'In my pocket,' I interrupted. Then, rather breathlessly, I repeated the conversation I had overheard. "'Good Lord!' McKay flushed. "'There it is. Shirley's the man, and I'll take him now, quick, without waiting for a warrant.' "'See?' I ejaculated to Kennedy. "'He killed Stella, because she made a fool of him, and then, when Werner discovered that, and followed him to Terrytown the other night, it probably put him in a panic of fear, and so, to keep Werner from talking—' "'Easy, Walter, not so fast.' What you overheard is insufficient ground for Shirley's conviction. Unless you could make him confess, and I doubt you could make him do that. Why? This was McKay. Because I don't think he's guilty. At least, Kennedy, as always, was cautious in his statements. Not so far as anything we know would indicate. But his anger at Stella, I protested, and Marilyn's remark. Miss Lamar's death was the result of a cool, unfilling plan not pique or anger. The same cruel, careful brain executed this second crime. McKay, I saw, was three-quarters convinced by Kennedy. How do you account for the dialogue Jameson overheard, he asked. Miss Loring told us that Shirley suspected someone and was watching and would not tell her or anyone else who it was. It seems most likely to me that it is the truth, McKay. In that case, her remark means that she believes his silence, in a way, is responsible for Werner's death. Oh, if Shirley had taken you into his confidence, for instance, I might possibly have succeeded in gaining sufficient evidence for an arrest, thus averting this tragedy. But it is only a theory of mine. I scowled. It seemed to me that Kennedy was minimizing things in a way unusual for him. I wondered if he really thought the heavy man innocent. 
It's still my belief that Shirley is guilty, I asserted. A sound of confusion from the courtyard beneath the heavy studio windows caught Kennedy's ear and ended the colloquy. From some of those near enough to look out, we received the explanation. The police had arrived, fully three quarters of an hour after Werner's death. I'll get the little bottle of wine, sure, McKay murmured, picking up the food samples he had wrapped and crowding the bulky packet into his pocket. I don't see why that would have been any easier to poison than the food, was my objection. Everyone was looking. Very simple. The food was brought in quite late. Besides, it was dished out by the caterer before the eyes of forty or fifty people or more, and there was no telling which plate would go to Werner's place. The drinks were poured last of all. I remember seeing the bubbles rise and wondering whether they would register at that distance. Kennedy did not look at me. Did it ever occur to you, he went on casually, that the glasses were all set out empty at the various places long before, and that there might easily have been a few drops of something, if it were colorless, placed in the bottom of Werner's glass, with scarcely a chance of it being discovered, especially by a man who had so much on his mind at the time as Werner had? He must have indicated where he would sit when he arranged the camera stands and the location of the tables. I had not thought of that. Kennedy frowned. If only I could have located more of that broken glass. As he faced me, I could read his disappointment. Walter, I've made a most careful search of his chair and the table and everything about the space where he dropped. The poison must have been in the wine, but there's not a tiny sliver of that glass left, nothing but a thousand bits ground into the canvas, too small to hold even a drop of the liquid. Just think, a dried stain of the wine, no matter how tiny, might have served me in a chemical analysis. Very suddenly there was a low exclamation from McKay. Look! Quick! Someone must have kicked it way over here! Fully twenty feet from Werner's place, in the glare of the lights, was the hollow stem of a champagne glass, its base intact save for a narrow segment. In the stem still were a couple of drops of the wine as if in a bulb or tube. Can it be the director's glass? McKay asked, handing it to Kennedy. Kennedy slipped it into his pocket, fussing with his handkerchief so that the precious contents would not drip out. I think so. I doubt whether any other glass was broken. Verify it quickly. The police were entering now with Manton. Following them was the physician. McKay and I ascertained readily that no other glass had been shattered. While Kennedy searched the floor for possible signs that the stem was part of a glass broken where he had found it. Unquestionably, we had a sample of the actual wine quaffed by the unfortunate Werner. Elated, we strolled to a corner so as to give the police full charge. They'll waste time questioning everyone, Kennedy remarked. I have the real evidence, he tapped his pocket. The few moments he had had to himself had been ample for him to obtain such evidence as was destroyed in so many cases by the time he was called upon the scene. A point occurred to me. You don't think the poison was planted later during the excitement? Hardly. Our criminal is too clever to take a long chance. In such a case we would know it was someone near Werner, and also there would be too many people watching. Foolhardiness is not boldness. I took to observing the methods of the police, which were highly efficient, 
but only in the minuteness of the examination of the witnesses and in the care with which they recorded names and facts and made sure that no one had slipped away to avoid notoriety. The actors and actresses who had stood rather in awe of Kennedy, both here and in Kennedy's investigation in Terrytown, developed nimble tongues in their answers to the city detectives. The result was a perfect maze of conflicting versions of Werner's cry and fall. In fact, one scene-shifter insisted that Shirley, as the black terror, had reached Werner's side and had struck him before the cry, while an extra girl with a faint lisp described with sobering accuracy the flight of a mysterious missile through the air. I realized then why Kennedy had made no effort to question them. Under the excitement of the scene, the glamour of the lights, the sense of illusion and the stifling heat, it would have been strange for any of the people to have retained correct impressions of the event. The police sergeant knew Kennedy by reputation and approached him after a visit to the dead man's body with the doctor. His glance, including McKay and myself, was frankly triumphant. Well, he exclaimed, I don't suppose it occurred to any of you scientific guys to search the fellow now, did it? Kennedy smiled in good humor. Searching a man isn't always the scientific method. You won't find the word frisk in any scientific dictionary. No? The police officer's eyes twinkled. There was enough of the Irish in him to enjoy an encounter of this kind. Maybe not, but you might find things in a chap's pockets which is better. With a flourish, he produced a hypodermic syringe, the duplicate of the one I had appropriated, and a tiny bottle. The man's a dope he added. I knew that, Kennedy replied. I examined his arm, where he usually took his shots, and found no fresh mark of the needle. That doesn't prove anything. Wait until the medical examiner gets here. He'll find the fellow's heart all shot full of hop or something. I guess it isn't so complicated after all. He was a hop fiend, all right. Still, there is nothing to indicate that he was a suicide. Not suicide? accident overdose was the sergeant's reply how could he have died from an overdose of the drug when he hasn't taken any recently well unabashed then he croaked because he hadn't had a shot the same thing heart failure either way excited and all you know making the scene maybe he forgot to use the needle like that perhaps you're right kennedy shrugged calmly what was the use of disputing the matter I started to protest against the detective's hypothesis. The idea of any drug addict ever forgetting to take his stimulant was too preposterous. But Kennedy checked me. All were now keenly listening to the argument. Better, perhaps, to let someone think that nothing was suspected than to disclose the cards in Craig's hand. I saw that he wished to get away and had not spoken seriously. He turned to McKay. Walter and I will have to hurry to the laboratory. Would you like to come along? You bet I would, the district attorney showed his delight. I was just going to ask if I might do so. There's nothing for me in Terrytown today, and this is out of my jurisdiction. As we turned away, the police sergeant saw us and called across the floor, not quite concealing a touch of professional jealousy. The three of you were here at the time, weren't you? No, Kennedy answered, Mr. Jameson and myself. Well, you two then. 
your witnesses, and I'll ask you to hold yourself in readiness to appear at the hearing. I thought that the policeman was particularly delighted at his position to issue orders to Kennedy, and I was angered. Again, Craig held me in check. We'll be glad to tell anything we know, he replied, then added, a little fling, a bit of sarcasm, which almost went over the other's head. That is, he amended, as eyewitnesses. The End of Chapter 22